Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Music, Industrious Ferret, is by Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you dropped us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks! Hello there, and welcome to the D&D Roundtable. Today, we are going to be talking about a subject near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, role-playing games for kids. Because while we all love role-playing games, if we can't transfer it on to the next generation, we're in trouble. So tonight we have some great guests that are gonna talk about role-playing games for kids. Our icebreaker question tonight is how old were you when you first got into role-playing games? Jenny, you want to start us off here? Absolutely. Um, so that's a bit of a difficult question for me. When did I first get into them? I was really, really young. When did I first actually get to play one? I was actually in college then. So uh, I was a wee babe of 17. 17, yeah. Which it's, was two years ago, three years ago? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it was, uh, let's see, 2007. No, that's wrong. No, that's right. That is right. Wow. Now I feel old. Thank you. <laughs> I started in on role-playing games when I was 12 because I was the weird kid that liked books about monsters. And I saw this book about a monster in the bookstore and I howled for my mother to get it for me. And then when I got it, I found out it was not a book about monsters. It was a book about games. So I chased down the rest of it and found out about D&D and pretty much bullied my brother and his stinky little friends into playing with me. And that was, that was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. What about our guests? Please give us your name and let us know how old you were when you first got into role-playing games. Would you like to go first, Cameron? Yeah, sure. So I think I was 17, I want to say. Um, I remember the first time it was D&D, I think, I want to say 3.5. And yeah, it was some of the most fun I ever had. And I just got hooked from there and, you know, went, eventually went into fourth edition and fifth edition. And I mean, I've always been hooked on like the fantasy genre in general. And uh, yeah, some really fond memories starting out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of pretty much the start for where we're all at. Do you want to tell everyone who you are? Yeah, so I am the uh, owner and content creator for D&D AdventuresForKids.com. Um, we also have a Facebook group that has over a thousand members. Um, basically, I write free D&D adventures for uh, fifth edition for people to download on my website. And um, yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing for like, the, I think the past six months or so. Uh, it's times flew for sure. But uh, yeah, I've been, I think I have like 10 adventures right now. 
Yeah, and they are pretty cool. I had a chance to check them out myself. Um, Crystal, what about you? How old were you? So um, I learned about Dungeons and Dragons from my cousins when I was very little, um, probably about five or six. However, they would not run them for me. So I never actually got to play anything until high school. And it was my junior year in high school when we started playing. Um, and basically uh, a group of friends of mine had been playing for a while and I hadn't joined them, hadn't joined them. And finally they put the um, Facebook for Vampire the Masquerade in my hands and said, here, you're going to play. We start next week. <laughs> There's nothing like being thrown in the deep end. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Those are good friends right there. Why don't you um, tell everyone a little bit about yourself? So my name is Crystal Mazer. Um, I am an educator by day and a game developer and writer um, during my free time. I'm not sure I understand the concept of free time, but totally. <laughs> All right. Josh, how about you? How old were you? Oh, I would have to say I was probably around 22. Uh, just graduated college. Uh, met Matt Keel, my co-host on our podcast. Uh, and he, kind of a bunch of college friends getting together every once in a while. And we're kind of like, you know, we should really you know, do something besides, you know, just getting together every once in a while and, you know, having dinner and, you know, drinks and things. Well, what should we do? And Matt had started running a D and D club uh, at a school and he was like, you know, this is really fun. Do you guys want to get into it? And uh, he, he actually bought us all books and uh, we started playing. We've had a four year campaign that we still, you know, meet every one, every, uh, every month and uh, play through. So yeah, no, that was, that was my, Never really got into RPGs until then, and now we're off to Akita Con and a bunch of other things, playing all sorts of stuff. So it's been real fun. So you mentioned the podcast briefly, but you want to explain a little bit more about what yeah. you do? Yeah, so uh, I'm a middle school teacher, uh, and my good friend Matt Keel and I run uh, Detentions and Dragons, a podcast geared toward getting D&D uh, &D and RPGs into the classroom. Uh, we're over at Detentions Pod, and uh, yeah, we got a uh, a lot of cool interviews if you're looking to start a D and D club or like how do you get into D and D? How do you start DMing? Uh, you know, we kind of take everything apart and look at it carefully and uh, make it real easy to understand. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. I wish I would have had a D and D club when I was in high school. I actually, I'm running one right now. I've got 55 kids in my uh, my D and D club at school. I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah, um, so we got a couple of get to, um, not get to know you, discussion questions that kind of just start the topic. Uh, Paige, do you want to lead us into that? All right, so this is probably the, the most important question because a lot of people are going to wonder, a lot of people are going to wonder, there's a lot of people out there who play a lot of RPGs and who write a lot of RPGs what made you want to start writing RPGs not aimed at your peers, but instead aimed at children? And uh, Cameron, why don't why don't you go first? 
Sure. I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, it, there's kind of several different answers that kind of uh, go into one. So I guess the first thing that kind of led me on that path was, I mean, I talked about this bri briefly before this started, but I was a teacher in Shenzhen, China for a while, uh, for about six months. And I taught kids that were anywhere between like four years old and uh, eight years old for the most part, and some teenagers too. And that's when I kind of knew um, I wanted to, um, you know, work with kids in some way because, you know, it seemed to really make a difference. And, you know, I was trying to think when I got back to the United States, um, how could I kind of continue to do that work? And I've always been a creative person. Um, I've always enjoyed, uh, well, I've enjoyed D&D since I was 17. Um, I've, you know, written a lot of content and, you know, I... I was something clicked where I just, I was looking around and, you know, there's not a lot of content out there for adults or parents, you know, that, you know, enjoy D and D themselves, but may want to get their kids into it. And that combined with um, just the education aspect of role-playing games, kind of helping kids develop socially and emotionally. I, you know, I thought that this might be a good way to kind of spread some good karma out in the world and just kind of make a difference in my own kind of unique creative way. And, I just, you know, one day I uh, actually saw a Facebook post of uh, um, this teacher named Greg who was actually starting up a D&D club at a school, and he asked some question like, hey, like, you know, can someone help me kind of make some content for this, you know, because he didn't really know where to start. And I, you know, I, I've written a lot of stuff for my homebrew campaigns over the years, and I thought, you know, why not give it a shot? So, you know, I wrote my my first adventure and I, I gave it to him and he, he, and that was kind of spread around to other people. And I was like, you know, spreading this stuff around is as easy as just making a post about it and linking the adventures. So I did that and it just really started to blow up and I just kind of started doing it more and more and really just to get that kind of good feeling of helping people. So your your commitment to kids started way earlier than than your ideas for making D and D to kids. Yeah, kids. exactly right. Crystal, what about you? What what made you decide that this was the kind of D and D game that you personally wanted to write? So. I come from, um, well, I'm in public school right now. I come from an early education background and I was, um, I had a class full of four-year-olds who were really, um, big on their imaginations, but not so well organized where they could play together. So I started doing role-playing with them, um, as a very loose way to kind of try and get them to kind of cooperate and work together a little bit more than what they were. And I saw how well it worked um, and started doing it more and more regularly and started rolling dice with it and um, taking it and then using it in, in my lesson planning and as an educational tool rather than a game. And I found that my my class accelerated like suddenly with all of the skills that we had been working on and they seemed to enjoy 
learning a lot more than they used to. And I what, what kind of what kind of skills were they accelerating on? Like what were you teaching that they really improved through role play? So one of the things that, that four-year-olds don't really do well is communicating with each other. Um, they tend to communicate better with teachers or adults. And that communication between the between peers um, tends to kind of lag sometimes. Um, and, and that's developmentally a thing. Um, and so I saw that they were communicating very clearly with each other. Um, in their other play, they were actually agreeing upon rules instead of fighting over them um, when it comes to like freeform play um, or free that play. Is, that is still a skill a lot of adult RP folks can't <laughs> yeah. do real well. Yes, and the fact that there are four-year-olds agreeing on rules is, it was huge for me. And um, the other thing was that they were, their attention spans were getting longer and longer, um, which also is a huge thing for four-year-olds and any children actually, like from pretty much early education to elementary, so... Huh, that's very interesting. I I don't have kids, so anything that happens like prior to the fact they're teenagers all pretty confusing to me. So that's uh, <laughs> that's it, that's interesting information. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Josh, what about you? What made you what made you start down this path? Well, I I think my answer is going to probably echo Crystal and Cameron pretty well, but. Um, it was kind of the same thing where I, I was teaching a fifth grade class. Um, it was kind of an adversary, not an adversary. It, there wasn't a lot of cohesion within the group. A lot of, uh, we'd have a lot of problems out at recess. There were a lot of arguments and fights and lunchrooms. It, the group didn't really work well together, um, which is something I, you know, is very common among you know, fifth graders, sixth graders, you know, we were, we're kind of moving away from, you know, everybody plays together to forming cliques and groups and, you know, this person I don't want to play with. And I was sitting in my car one day trying to figure out what could I do? How can we've tried team meetings? We've tried all this other stuff. Nothing seems to really be working. And I was listening to an episode of Dragon Talk where Greg Tito was talking about uh, or actually was interviewing somebody who had been using D&D &D in an educational setting. And I'm like, oh, wait, I play D&D &D and I find it really fun. And it's, it's very, you know, community building and, and, you know, it focuses on teamwork and patience and talking. Why don't I just do something like this? So I actually came up with a, a system called Havoc and started using it in the classroom. And we had a a classroom currency where if they got their reading minutes done, they got gold coins. And I had a whiteboard with all sorts of stuff that they could buy to amp their character up. And if everybody got stuff done, like once a month, we would go and we would play a whole hour long game of havoc where the entire class played D and D and the transformation was absolutely amazing. I had kids who did not, ever talk to each other, like start communicating and that those that didn't get along had to work together. Uh, it was a really, really great tool. And once seeing that, I was pushing for it every year, like 
hey, here's here's D and D in the classroom. We're we're going to run it again, um, as well as uh, trying to get a D and D club going. Huh, that's really fascinating. Like I said, this is all out of my experience, my world of experience. So the idea of what class must be like with kind of that gamification of social mores is really interesting to me. I'm, yeah, I'm absolutely fascinated by this. I, I had some classes that used uh, reward-based uh, things for behavior, but none of them were as cool as that. Uh, <laughs> but you meant... So you you mentioned havoc, which isn't really another system exactly, no, but it, it's it was what I called it because um, you know I had kind of grown up in the era where D and D wasn't something that you brought into school, and uh, you know it was it was you know of the you know satanic panic and things like that. So I called it havoc, which you know as a kind of cover, but really it was essentially D and D. No, it totally makes sense. Um, well, outside of D&D, there, there are obviously a lot of other systems, like so many other systems. Are there any others that, um, you, that we would be good to teach to children, you think, based on the experience that you've all had, or would be just like easily grasped by children, or anything like that, really? Because I can, I can think of like so many D&D, or D&D RPG games um, and I can definitely t think of a bunch that are not suitable for children um, Crystal what do you think so um, one of the the game systems that I develop is actually um, PIP system which is for families and kids um, and so that is also very easily graspable by children they can actually you can teach them how to run it um, they can play it I ran um, I run um, several games for PIP system at Midwinter Gaming Convention every year. Um, so I usually have between five to nine kids at my table. <laughs> um, and we spend two hours. I teach them how to play real quick. And by the end of it, they're all learning. They're all doing it themselves. That's, that's pretty cool. I mean, I don't teach children. I teach a lot of teenagers D&D &D every year at a big convention I run. And it's, it's amazing what people can just absorb that quickly, always. Um, Cameron, how about you? Well, my experience has really been just kind of consumed with D&D. &D. I mean, I've taken a look at some of the other systems based on what like uh, parents and stuff have kind of talked to me about. Um, though I'd say the thing that first comes to mind is Hero Kids. Um, that looked to be really interesting. Um, it seems like kids like it. It's like maybe a simpler version of D&D. I mean, it's not really a system, but I mean, I would always encourage, um, like, this is kind of like a golden age of, like, tabletop and board games, right? So I, I would encourage, like, Strong really, agree. Yeah, we are living in the golden age of D&D. We really are. Um, and, and not just that, but board games in general, I think. So I'd say any board games, which there are so many, that encourage cooperation um, are really good for kids. Um, I mean, there's, there's hundreds to choose from, I mean, that are getting created all the time. Um, I mean, some off the top of my head, I, sadly, I haven't gotten the opportunity to play too many lately, but I was looking at games like Mice and Mystics and Gloomhaven, and those are super fun and, you know, have some cooperative aspects to them. Um, but anything like that, 
I think is really beneficial. Interesting that you, you list Gloomhaven. I haven't played it yet because the box is very uh, intimidating. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the box is intimidating. It, it, it's just Gloomhaven things from it. Pretty hard to set up. Like we we have a Gloomhaven group, and it's like we play a lot of super technical board games and we we regard gloomhaven as a pain in the butt it really depends on like the age of what you're talking about because if you're talking about kids that are you know really young then yeah that's going to be way too complicated but you know if you get into kids like you know teenagers and things like that i think they could get grasp that pretty quick yeah and if once we get into the realm of board games there's definitely like hundreds and hundreds that like teach math and all of that exactly uh, right yeah um, let's see. Who, who, Josh, that's who I've left off so far. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Outside of D&D, the one I would recommend would be uh, Kids on Bikes uh, by Renegade Games. Um, it is a RPG system I just recently picked up. I'm going to, I got, due to budget cuts, I'm no longer teaching fifth grade. I've got moved to sixth grade. So my, my Havoc, my Havoc D&D system has to be put in the box for a little bit. And I've been really missing it so um teaching sixth grade english uh we started looking at how to create story characters and i was like there has to be something out there and uh went looking and uh, it's a small little book it's uh kids on bikes very simple system you still use the uh the D, &D dice um but it's a real simple rule stat it's like stranger things kind of set in the 80s so you don't have like you know, high technology, cell phones and things like that, if you don't want to. Um, but you kind of go around and your kids, you're playing as kids that solve a mystery or, you know, something spooky that's going on in the town. And um, yeah, no, it's a really fun rule set. And I think I, I've started to show it to my kids and they're really kind of grasping it right now. So uh, pretty easy to, uh, to pick up. I did always want to be Nancy Drew when I was young. So that's not uh, There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about, you know, the different systems and uh, kind of the passion that we've gotten. Um, a little bit on like the important skills that RPGs teach children. Obviously, um, math, math is very obvious, but um, which ones would, would, would you say that you've definitely seen um, children that you've worked with developing the most? We've kind of a little bit but um uh crystal oh goodness um <laughs> i i know sorry big, big question <laughs> so i'm um uh, i guess if i had to pick one it would be cooperation um mostly because you you have to learn how to sit around table and take turns but also work together to solve problems and stuff like that um, if, if I only had to pick one, there's a whole mess of them that they, they developed. So. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I know I made it difficult, but yeah, top one. I think, <laughs> I think that's, I think that's good. You probably stolen everyone else's now. Uh, Josh, how about you? Um, if I had to pick one, I think it would be self-confidence. There were a, a lot of times, again, there are many, uh, but self-confidence probably is the one that I find to be the most noticeable um, especially when kids start getting to going and they're playing and they're kind of encouraging each other, each other, you, you always see like the kids who generally during 
group work or things like that that kind of maybe sit off to the side, you know, you as the DM calling them to maybe do something and it's kind of like an icebreaker and all of a sudden they, they go and they do something really cool or they, you know, defeat the dragon or steal the treasure and all the other kids around them are like cheering them on and like, Hey, good job. And I heard constantly like kids afterwards, like, Hey, that was a really good idea to somebody that they'd never really talked to because they're the quiet kid in class. So, you know, then also to witness the change afterwards in that kid who might raise their hand a bit more or, you know, propose an idea in a project uh, always was awesome to see. I can't say that my self-confidence didn't improve after I started RPGs. So I think that is definitely really true. It's good to just like have that positive enforcement that like, no matter what you choose, it's all going to be fine. Indeed. Indeed. And, and that's a really hard thing to teach kids. Oh, like yeah. th there's, there's not a lesson plan for self-confidence. No, you, you don't open the lesson book like, okay, children, today's lesson is on how to be your best self. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a way to naturally approach it. Yeah, so. and I think that is definitely a very important life skill. Cameron, how about you? So a lot of my experience, because I, I don't teach, uh, I don't run D&D games for kids directly. You know, I, I mostly deal with providing like the content for those that do. But I have heard from hundreds of people um, that would look like their experiences and kind of the lessons that um, they've learned from. And I mean, there's so many skills that are learned from playing D&D um, at the table with kids. Some of them, I mean, it. so this really depends on two different things. So one, how the DM kind of runs the game, but two, the content in the adventure um, also plays a big part, but there's several different um, lessons that can be learned from playing. Uh, one being kind of compassion and forgiveness. Um, whenever you're playing, you know that um, that can involve something as simple as, you know, saying sorry to an NPC in a game, you know, to kind of get past a certain kind of uh, social dilemma. Um, another one being morality is a big one. You know, I think that's a constant kind of decision that you make, you know, to kind of navigate the consequences of doing something bad in the game. You know, another obvious one is teamwork, obviously, kind of what was discussed before. Um, lending helping hands to others. Um, you know, I think depending on how the game is run, um, it can really be set up where, you know, if you help each other out, that's the only way you're going to get past a certain barrier or challenge. Um, another lesson being uh, hard work paying off. Um, the, again, these are all kind of subtle things that are experienced, you know, throughout a uh, game of d and I mean, not just with kids, with adults too, but, you know, I, I, I think, um, that, you know, it has kind of a bigger effect with kids and, you know, maybe some of these skills they wouldn't normally learn as quickly, um, just in normal life scenarios, um, they can pick up on rather quickly throughout a game. Yeah, no, certain, those are all like really excellent. You rounded out that list very nicely. I think all of those are like super important life skills, things that it's not common to get in your everyday history lesson if you're not paying attention to the details of it 
or your English lesson. No offense to English because it was my favorite, but you just don't learn like how to not be a jerk. Exactly right. Yeah. And one thing I'm kind of experimenting with because, you know, I always try to be better as a writer with each you know, new adventure I put out is I'm trying to, to really experiment with how do I introduce these specific lessons as like a theme in the adventure? You know, what can I put in the adventure that tailors toward a specific lesson? And while not, it may not be obvious, you know, that's kind of always what I'm trying to, to do is, is, you know, not just present simply an adventure that is kid friendly, but something that can, you know, a lesson that can be taken away at the end of the whole thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting on learning to play role-playing games and I always thought, well, you know, it taught me math. I mean, I, I could do negative numbers before anyone else. Thank you, Thacko. And uh, it, it taught reading, but now that I'm going back, I really wonder how those early games shaped me. That was a long time ago, though. I'm saying you probably internalized all of that because I've read the adventures that you've written, and unlike a lot of other adventures out there, there are points where you kind of have to be the better person in the adventure to progress forward in the story. Yeah, certainly. I try to like put those kind of good values in, um, in the adventure whenever possible. Oh, it, well, I was talking to Paige, but yours do too. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> I think we probably all have gotten those in there now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a question. So I grew up, I, I started playing in 1982 or three. So that was kind of like the heyday of the satanic panic. So the idea of a school D&D club is really uh, fascinating to me. How do you, how do you start a school D&D club and how do you win over parents who have misgivings about, well, D&D, I heard, you know, the dark dungeons and chick tracks and I'm just not sure I want my kids doing this. How, how do you win those over? Um, if, if you don't mind, I could jump in there. Uh, yeah, go I, ahead. I, sure I've thing, had, Josh. I've yeah. had a couple, I've had a couple parents who have voiced some concerns over running RPGs or D and D or, um, in the classroom. I've had my community ed director get a phone call cause we, we actually put it in the community brochure um, saying, oh, are you, you know what he's doing? Blah, blah, blah. I, the, the best thing I can suggest is just to be very honest with people. Like, listen, this is what, this is what this is. This is, you know, where you can find the information. And, and basically, it's basically creative writing class. Because what D&D really is, is collaborative storytelling with a set of rules and a set of dice. And when people actually like step back and take a look at it and see it that you're approaching it from an educator's point of view. They're kind of like, Oh, okay. And you know, it, it kind of gives them a bit of a pause. Um, as far as setting up a D and D club, uh, again, talking to admin and, and kind of having a, a program and, and with all the research that's been coming out with using D and D for therapy and, uh, kind of, you know, lesson building on community and, you know, sharing and all the benefits with it, um, you know, presenting that to a community ed board or an admin board uh, 
really kind of takes the edge off of the, oh, it's a, a dark game from the, the 70s and 80s and, oh, you know, satanic panic. Uh, that's at least been my experience with it. Crystal, what about you? So um, when I teach um, teachers, when I run workshops and stuff on how to use role-playing games and stuff in, in your classroom, I always tell them to, um, they have to pick and choose what's best, that works best for their classroom. Um, with parents, I find that um, I've done workshops where I've run a and d game for parents um, just so that they knew what was going on. Um, I've had um, experiences where the parents were like, oh yeah, I used to play D&D a long time ago. Um, sure, you know, like they're very comfortable with it. They know what's going on with it. And then I do have the others that do have like the satanic panic type of moment and a good friend of mine, um, Monica Valentinelli, gave me advice on how to, how to talk to parents that have that moment. Um, and it's to remind them that um, they're, the kids are playing the heroes and they're trying to stop whatever is going on. So you're telling a story and there has to be a hero and you're just making the, the, the kids the heroes and um using using that explanation has kind of helped to put a little bit more of a perspective onto what actually is going on in these storytelling games that we're playing and running that is just absolutely fascinating to me because that the idea that D is legitimized and the the love might my great thrill that there's D and D in the scientific literature now. I'm a scientist by trade, so I think that's pretty cool. But the idea that you could take the papers to the ed board, or that you can talk to the parents and say, "Oh yeah, this seems like a really good idea for the class." Cameron, what about what about you? I mean, yeah, go ahead. Uh, we're living in like a time where you know teachers are using things like Minecraft for teaching and stuff. So I mean, using D and D, you know, you know, starting a club using in the classroom. I think, you know, I mean, obviously it's becoming more and more popular. I mean, I've heard from several teachers that you know have asked me like, you know, what, how, how can I get this started? Like, you know, I, I mean, I don't have any personal experience of you know running it in a classroom setting. I mean, I, I basically given the same advice that kind of you know Josh and uh, Crystal have given. Um, you know, just kind of presenting it in a way that it kind of outlines the educational benefits and just kind of go from there. That is just fascinating. I have, I have friends with um, teenagers who have started D&D clubs, and uh, it's, it's just fascinating to think how different it must be now to play D&D in high school and not get in trouble for it. Although that's, that's high school, uh, a, another question that comes up a lot, I see, particularly in the big fifth edition Facebook group, is how old is old enough to play? And of course, that's, a, that's the wrong question because each child develops differently. So how old is old enough to play? Uh, what games should they be playing at what ages? What are the the growth traits or the growth mark markers that say this child is old enough to play that game 
I, I know that's kind of a, a long multi-part question, but I hope you get my drift. Any any volunteers for the first first answer on that? I wanna I wanna try to take a stab at it actually, which is probably the wrong thing to say. All you starts to children. <laughs> um, like I have, as I you know stated, taught it to a bunch of teenagers, and I've also when I was still living in Knoxville had several games where their parents would kind of drop the child off and you know we'd, we'd do D&D &D daycare um, but I, I found like in general the ones where the child really like fits in and they are I don't want to say an asset because that's not necessary to the party but you know they're really part of the game and they they do it are the ones when they're able to um, have that sustained focus of course and when they are able to um, to do at least it's simple math because obviously they're going to be learning that and to have that just reading comprehension on like what you're seeing on on the page of course like you can make all of the D, D materials themselves a lot more streamlined and easier to understand but like that's that's the couple of things where to me like if they if they're not really great at all of those just then it, but i'm also when i'm doing it trying to set a child with a table of adults who are potentially potentially grumpy already to have a kid at the table. So I think my experience is going to be vastly different than, uh, you know, Crystal and Josh, which Josh. Um, again, it's a, it's a multifaceted answer uh, to a multifaceted question. I guess like if you were looking at just like regular old D and D like vanilla, um, it depends on again, the kid. I mean, I, I've played with some that were in third grade and they were able to, with a little help, uh, play pretty unimpeded. Um, if you are the DM, I mean, there's always ways that you can adjust it. I mean, even in the Havoc game that I ran in the classroom, like I took regular D&D &D and made it really simple for everybody within the fifth grade classroom. And I guess that's, I get what I love about fifth edition is the kind of versatility to change stuff to kind of fit the player's ability level. Um, I, th I think, you know, if they can figure out how to tell a story, you can play D and D. Huh? That's interesting. I, I, back in the days of highly technical 3.5, I had a friend who always brought his, his child to conventions and she started playing when she was about mm, eight or nine I guess and by the time she was 12 13 14 she could play you know at APL 20 tables and knew all the rules newer characters and inevitably a good-natured adult would be like oh sweetie do you need some help rolling your dice and she's like no <laughs> i am plus 18 to hit i roll my dice that's a uh, 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 75 points of damage and people would just be stunned so i i mean every kid is different obviously but uh there's a lot of parents who want to know when they can do it when they can actually start exposing their kids to D D and have them really get it well i i sorry to jump back in here but uh i'd like i used to work at a game store um just recently and you know, that was a common question that would come in, you know, at what age could they start playing D&D? &D? And I'm like, well, there's, there's a lot. I mean, how much do you want them to play D&D? &D? I mean, if you took the box set and 
tweaked it to where they could understand it, yo, your your four year old could probably play it. I mean, they have things like Rory's Story Cubes and No Thank You Evil and a few other RPGs that are and Rory's Story Cubes aren't RPGs, but like any kind of storytelling game or you know educational you know manipulative or tool you could get them starting on using that imagination you know that skill of imagination and and creative storytelling you could play a version of of D somehow with them god i just get stuck thinking on everything you guys have said so far and, and then and um I'd, I'd like to hear what crystal has to say about it because it sounds like she's got a lot of hands-on uh, experience, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you have to make sure that you, that um, the, whatever child you're working with is at that de developmental stage where they can handle it. Um, and a lot of parents have come up to me saying, well, what if my child can't tell the difference between fantasy and, and reality? And I always tell them, well, you just, you have to explain that to them that you were telling a story much like I read you stories at bedtime, except for instead of, you know, looking at um, Goldilocks, you were Goldilocks. So like always trying to reinforce that, that you're not, um, play you, you whatever you are storytelling is not real and um that's where things like safety mechanics and stuff do come into play for kids um as far as like with mechanics and stuff um i've done it a couple of ways i've done it where i've taken the entire mechanic system out of things and just had them tell stories and i wrote it on a board like a whiteboard or something and then made it into a book for them and they had I had them illustrate it and everything like that um, and um, I've also had it where they were running and we were doing a full game and they were doing all of the math um, and so it depends on where they're appropriate um, a lot of people discount having kids help each other and that's where you can if you are a good facilitator and understand children developmentally or even parents with really great intuition with their children, your child or a child that is really good at stuff can help other children who may not actually be developmentally old enough to play on their own, but they work together and the older or the other child can help the one that, that might not be quite there so that they're not left out. They can feel included with that. Um, so, so that peer-to-peer -peer learning becomes super important. Yeah, and that also drives um, cooperation between um, the tables, um, confidence, because a child's going to feel more confident if they work together with a peer than if, if adult comes, swoops in and solves all of their problems for them. And then what games are good for what ages? So um, when I run workshops, for teachers, I always say to have as many rules as the age of the child. So if you're running a game for a four-year-old, there should be four rules. Um, and you can take any non-applicable rules out of a game if, it, if, if a child is just getting confused with them or it's just too complicated. However, there, there are ways that you can teach 
like a full game of D&D to, to younger kids, but you just have to take it slowly. Um, so you have to give them more free reign for things for them to be able to explore that before they take over an entire game for themselves um, and start running it or start running their sheets on their own. Um, so it's, you really have to kind of take it as a case by case basis. So what would be some of the, the biomarkers uh, that the kid is ready to play like actual full vanilla Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition? Like, what are you, what would you look for in a child to say, yeah, I think they can probably do it. Math skills are generally <laughs> like a big thing, but also there needs to be a sort of, um, they need to be able to have a delay of gratification. So they aren't just sitting at the table, interrupting everybody um, and jumping in. They're, they're taking their turn. They're, they're understanding that everybody gets a, gets a uh, chance to be at the forefront. Um, they possibly are a lot more descriptive in what they're doing. And that takes coaching because it's not just, I jump and then that's it you have to help them understand, well, how do you jump? Do you jump, you know, um, do you try to land a funny, a different way? You know, you have to kind of coach them as to how you want things to go before you take that full leap into everything. Yeah, I know plenty of adults that are not great at sharing the spotlight at a table. So I'm glad the kids are learning that skill, at least. Yeah, and, and you also have to understand they're kids. I mean, they're not always going to be that way. And if they have a tough time at it, um, I usually keep crayons and paper and have them draw what they're doing if they're having trouble. Then that way they're focusing on two different things instead of, well, I'm going to fight with the person next to me. And then where am I at now? Oh my goodness. I still want to be at the table, but I just can't handle it today. So yeah. Yeah. I should maybe... That, like that's not bad advice for adults either like a lot of this is really applicable oh oh yeah <laughs> very very much so uh yeah. what do you what do you think cameron um as far as what games for what ages or, or what things do you put in your adventures for different ages or how do you how do you communicate to people what age children are great for your adventures or how do you what um developmental goals do they have to reach to be able to really appreciate your adventures so i'd say you know what age is good you know for kids to play dnd i get that question I, i've gotten it probably a thousand times emailed to me and i really just say you know i mean it depends on the age it depends on where they're at you know it, developmentally i mean if they're at the point where they can kind of understand the basic concept of what a role-playing game is, um, and you know, that's it, just start with, you know, and when you have to like start to teach them mechanics, I, I always say, just start with the basics, start with the D20 and just go from there. The higher the result you get, the better chance you are going at doing something, you know, focus more on the storytelling side of it, more on like, you know, the imagination part of it, you know, slowly start to introduce dice and specific rules because, you know, as a DM, you can make up whatever you want. And I think it's your job to, you know, start at a level where, you know, the kids can be comfortable and 
you know, it, the biggest thing I think about it is just everything, you know, having everyone have a good time, you know, have laughs at the table, kind of work together as best as they can. You know, I mean, Josh and Crystal have, you know, infinitely more experience than I do as far as like practical application of this, but hopefully I'm kind of semi-right in all this. Um, as far as like what I do um, in like, for the adventures themselves. I mean, I try to implement a few different things. I try to put some things in there that kind of correlate to good values and good deeds. I try to explain as much as possible in a relatively simple language that way. So my adventures are meant to be run really by adults for kids. Although I would say a teenager with, you know, a good grasp on D&D could easily pick one of these adventures up and read it. I, I try to write it in like a simple language, uh, as simple as I can, basically. So that way a younger audience could probably pick it up and do it themselves if they wanted to. Um, but also, you know, I have, I have parts in there that are meant to be spoken out loud. And I, I try to write those in a way where younger audiences can understand kind of what's going on. Um, I try to keep all that in mind uh, whenever writing these. And I, I also try to keep the action going because I, I think, you know, a big part of, well, you know, what's fun about it for the kids is not just like the storytelling and, you know, the laughing and stuff, but keeping like the dice rolling and stuff, just like that action. Um, like there was this one adventure I wrote called Dragon's Fortune where um, it was really popular because in the beginning, there's this tournament where you go through all the skills and it involves a lot of dice rolling and, you know, I've gotten so many people uh, coming back to me just saying how much fun uh, their kids had playing through uh, specifically that specific section just because, you know, there's like a lot of dice rolling and just a lot of like competition and fun stuff going on. I know that's a long answer, but. Long answer, but I, I feel like that maybe by getting some of this information out there, we can educate our peers on some ways some best practices to get their children playing games and that that is good work yeah speaking of best practices i mean there are steps that you what steps are there really that you would want to take um and incur well would want to encourage others to take to make products or programs or whatever that are that are aimed at children um just like what i don't know <laughs> I get what you're saying. <laughs> Thank you. I'm How so... do you do the thing you do? <laughs> All right, then, since you get what I'm saying, you get to go first. Okay. Um, so, I mean, obviously, it depends on the project you're talking about. If you're talking about stuff specifically for D&D for kids, then, like, in my experience, like, for adventures, that's, like, kind of my product, right? So, really, that just... It's just a lot of trial and error, really. It's, you know, a lot of writing. It's a lot of getting your work out and letting people play it and getting feedback and seeing where you can change. I mean, it's it's a developing process that, you know, I'm no master at it. I know I'm still learning. I mean, if you're talking about kind of, it, it's getting the kid's opinion, really. I mean, that's, I think, the biggest part of it and kind of adapting to how they feel about it. I think that's the key thing you know, no matter what the product is, is, well, you know, what, how does your audience react to it? And what changes are they suggesting? You know, listen to your audience, listen to 
your core customer base, if you will, and kind of adapt accordingly. Find a good focus group. I think that's that's a pretty solid, pretty solid advice there. Crystal, do you have anything to like add to that? Um, I would say um, if you are looking to make products that are aimed at children, reach out to educators, reach out to parent groups, um, reach out to libraries and see what people are trying to get their hands on as far as maybe books are concerned um, and making products that would um, kind of dovetail nicely with, with what's being popular at the time. Um, making products that are accessible um, and getting them into the hands of like educators and librarians who can also pass this stuff on um, is a is a huge step in making sure that we kind of help to educate parents as far as how to to use these things and where to find them. I think that's a pretty good point too. So you know, not just the kids, but what everyone else is asking for. Uh, Josh, do you have anything to add? Um, the only other thing I need, I could add is basically to be, you know, cognizant of, of what kids really want out of it, I guess. I mean, I've tried, there've been a lot of times that I've tried to run a very super, like, we're, this is the lesson we're going to try to get through on this and, and here's the end goal and da, 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 da. And it's going to be, you know, a lot of lesson on morals and, and this and that. But you also have to bend to kids being, you know, explorers and a bit of goofs and, and they want to have fun with it. So, you know, to keep, keep in mind the kid interest and the, I guess the, the fun of trying this out and, you know, just, just to be aware of that as you design stuff. That's to say the carefully constructed plot point that you've worked on for days and days will be completely ignored by your characters. Generally, generally the case. <laughs> because the chicken is so much more interesting, we should follow that. <laughs> that oh is- my God. It's like cats with the, you know, it's the, the box that has the toy in it and they don't want the toy, they want the box. My players exactly. do that all the time. Exactly. But again, if, if you can take that and still make that plot point, you know, or at least some form of that into what you really wanted them to learn or to achieve out of it. I mean, essentially that's the success and they had fun doing it. That is, as yeah, that's, that's all I ever really want to do for any of my D and D games is get somebody to learn something. Maybe it's just where we're going, but that's okay. Um, so we talked a lot about what all you all are doing and it's amazing work. Do any of you have like any other creators making things aimed at children that you want to encourage our listeners to take a look at? Uh, let's. Yes. yes. All right. You Hello. Can... <laughs> All right. Um, so aside from the PIP system, which is from Third Eye Games, um, Hero Kids also has community content where you can put stuff up um, in that system and get it for free through drive-through, or not free, but um, most most of it's through pay, sorry, um, through drive-through RPG. Um, there is um, Kids on Bikes, which was mentioned before, which is fantastic. Um, no Thank You Evil, which is also fantastic. 
I'm going through my, uh, <laughs> my shelves. Um, we have Apillion, which is um, you play dragons, and the only way for your characters to advance is actually to build up relationships um, with uh, the other dragons in your party. Um, if you're going with D&D-based uh, Pugmire and Monarchies of Mao, are you play cats and dogs. Um, and then, um, let's see here, what else? Uh, Mermaid Adventures is, uses the PIP system through Third Eye Games. Um, and yeah, like there's, I, I'm, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's just amazing out there that I don't think gets enough love. No, and that's, that's exactly true. And just looking up to find people for the show, I've discovered so much more myself. Um, Cameron, anything to add to her list? I mean, she basically covered everything I was pretty much going to say. I mean, Hero Kids is my biggest thing that I'm a fan of. Um, so I definitely recommend checking that out. I mean, yeah, a lot of it is paid, but I, I don't think it's, it's too much. You know, a lot of their products, I think, are like like six bucks or something like that. Um, but yeah, that'd be my my biggest one. Yep. No, it's all pretty reasonable on uh, drive through, and um, if if okay, Paige, does our uh, DM Guild credit work on drive through? I think so. Well, yeah, I'm if, not sure. If you're an affiliate, yes, it will. Okay, cool. Well, Interesting. If, if it does, and there is a school club that wants some hero kids, I know I, for one, would, would graciously donate some of that. Ooh, um, free stuff. That is my favorite kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it works for that specifically, because I know... Yeah, like giving it for free. I don't think you can unless it's part of your shop. No, well, you you just, absolutely can. If you have credit, you can buy things for other. Oh people. yeah, credit. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah, we have credit. We would gift it. Gift it. Yes. Okay, then that totally you can do. Yeah. Um, Josh, anything to add to that list that we can? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if if people. Uh, I don't think they've talked about uh, Chris Walls and. Uh, his thing on Dungeon Master's Guild called The Ogre and His Cake um, is a really great adventure for uh, younger uh, children and students. Um, uh, was I've, I've read it. I've downloaded it. I absolutely, I've used it. I absolutely love it. Uh, highly recommend it. Um, also, if you are into comics, there is uh, Rolled and Told, which is kind of a uh, DM uh kind of back when they had uh, Dragon and Dungeon magazines for both the Dungeon Master and the player. Uh, this is kind of a comic book version of that where there are wonderful uh, articles and maps and kind of one shots um, all rolled together. I think that's by Lion. Hang on, I've got a copy here. It's by, uh, I think, Lion Share. I will look it up and make sure we get that added on there. Uh, but no, absolutely loved, rolled, and told. Um, and then also uh, Games to Grow, which is a, a really cool program. Uh, we've had uh, the, uh, the creators on the podcast ourselves. Um, 
it's kind of a D&D based therapy program uh, that I know they have uh, like some uh, a product out there, a downloadable uh, program and product out there. Uh, definitely something to go check out. Can I jump in again? I totally forgot something. You certainly can. Uh, it was actually sitting on my desk the whole time. I actually picked up these books called um, Young. It's part of the Young Adventurer's Guide uh, for D&D. It's just like these... Uh, one of them's called Warriors and Weapons. One of them's Monsters and Creatures. And the other one's Dungeons and Tomes. Basically, it kind of goes over uh, some of like the lore and kind of history and information about different things around D&D. Uh, like, for instance, Monsters and Creatures has, I'm looking at it right now, it kind of goes over like the background of like, for instance, like like vampires and um, all like basically a lot of like dragon turtles and a lot of like the more kind of common creatures found in the monster manual but all these books are kind of written in an easy to read way for younger kids it doesn't go into the nitty-gritty of like the actual mechanics and like you know this monster has this much hp or ac or whatever but it, it just goes in like the um the description the history like for instance like the dragon turtle it, it says you know kind of ways that you can like approach it and what not to do and it kind of it goes over like what kind of attacks it does and you know, it's just really interesting information uh, for kids into just really fantasy stuff in general, but also, you know, those looking to get into d d So it's kind of like Mordenkainen's or Volo's minus the crunch. Yeah, yeah. There's no, like, specific teaching you how to play mechanics-wise, but there's everything else as far as, like, the interesting, like, lore information. Yep, that was going to be one of the ones that I mentioned, um, along with the other um, series for even younger kids, the one, two, threes, and ABCs of D&D, which two separate. I saw that too, yeah. Yeah, so those and the Young Adventurer series, um, they are official products. Um, and I sent one of each along with some foam dice to a friend of mine who homeschools because I like them that much. But I mean, I am, uh, Paige, do you have any more games to add? Because everything I know was listed and, um, you know, give me a moment to look. I, like I said, I don't have kids and my interaction with kids in D&D is, you know, can I bring my kid to the convention you're running? So pause a minute and let me check. Yeah. Well, while we take a moment to check on that, I want to back up to where we mentioned Ogre and his cake by Christopher Walls. He was actually originally scheduled to be a guest on this. So if you want to hear his thoughts on that, just harass him on Twitter. He loves it. Oh, he does indeed. <laughs> no, legitimately, absolutely loves to talk about this. <laughs> I, I, I do know him, seen him at many cons, and this is a actually excellent adventure, which is one of the reasons I came up with the uh, concept for this as Paige simultaneously came up with this concept based on something else. <laughs> um, and I, I did get it's uh the comic book, uh, the company is uh, The Lion Forge um, and Quillian. The Lion so, Forge. Yeah, okay. and that's for Rolled and Told. So I, I've been a moderator on the 5th edition Facebook group for a while, and we get a lot of questions about kids, 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 kids. So I did some homework and uh, where I found, uh, actually, that's how I met Cameron, uh, or how I became aware of Cameron. And some of the ones that I found are, let me go look at my list. 
So some of the ones I found are um, Wizards of the Coast has an article on monster slayers, which is kind of a D&D light. Um, they call it Champions of the Elements, and we can put that link in our show notes as well. Um, there's another group called um, PlaygroundAdventures.net that has a bunch of adventures aimed at younger children. I haven't read these. I don't know. Uh, so uh, caveat emptor. I'm just pointing them out as things that I, I had found in my, my travels. Um, there's one from Firefly Games called Fairy's Tale, F-A-E-R-Y-S, that's listed for kids six and up. So some really little kids are, uh, are good with that. There's another one called Strays, which is based on Fate Accelerated System, where I believe you play animals as well. And uh, another one that um, uh, got reviewed very well is called Familiars of Terra. And it's supposed to be about children and their animal companions, and it's aimed at kids. But like I said, I, I don't really have any idea if they're good or not. It's just things that I have heard that have been reviewed well. Well, we have quite the list compiled now. <laughs> Paige, do you want to take the next question? Sure, I can take the next question. So uh, earlier, I believe it was Crystal maybe, mentioned safety mechanics for kids. Ginny and I both are big fans of safety mechanics in games. We like the X card, we like uh, lines and veils. What kind of safety mechanics do y'all use for kid games? And what are some best practices for safety mechanics specifically for children? Uh, Crystal, was that you? Do you want to speak to this first? Sure. Um, so I'm also a huge fan of the X card, um, and I have used it for kids' games. They get the concept very well. Um, I, I have had it where not one child even touches it because um, they're just having way too much fun, and I've had it where maybe I get a little too descriptive with like a monster sound or something like that, and they they touch the X card and I stop right away and make sure that they're okay. Um, so um, there's also the check-in system, which is usually, it's, it's been used for LARPs where you just give like a thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, but you can still check in with, a, with um, kids at your table just by asking, hey, are you okay? Do you want me to continue? Um, do you, do you want to stop? Do you want to take a break? Um, usually in, if- In my head, I'm picturing the grandfather from Princess Bride stopping the story and saying, uh, you know, oh, there's kissing here. You probably don't want to, don't want to see that. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even if it's like, hey, do you want to go get a drink of water or go to the bathroom real quick? And they take a quick break, oh, wait, step away from the table and then come back and you've moved on at that point that's still totally fine. Um, and then aftercare too, like sometimes, um, even with adults, you get ba basically what's called bleed, um, where the game just kind of stays with you. And sometimes things or story parts just keep replaying in your head. And that happens with children too. Um, and just making sure that you check in with them afterwards, maybe decompress by sharing some of their thoughts as to what their characters were doing or why, why their characters chose to do what they did. 
um, have them ask you questions, maybe open the veil a little bit for them, uh, peel back the curtain and um, give them why somebody was acting the way that they were um, to them, depends on the age of the child. So, and where they are and, you know, um, how much they may need, need to have for that. Interesting. Very interesting. So it sounds like a lot of the same tools that we use at tables with adults, but just taken a step more simply. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, just very simple words. No need to go into a long diatribe about it. It's if you, if you get scared or you have a, a strong feeling, um, you can touch this card and I will stop and we will make sure that you are okay before we move on. It's really all you have to do to, to, to introduce the X card. Uh, Josh, what do, you, what do you think? What kind of safety tools do you use? Crystal mentioned quite a few of them. I mean, I very much use all of those and then encourage a lot of my student DMs and you know others to, to use them. We use a lot of the X card and the check-ins and things like that. Uh, another thing I, I tend to use is also, uh, especially with my big D&D group at school, uh, we all work on a safety uh, kind of social contract at the beginning. Uh, we kind of outline what is okay for gameplay, what is not okay. Um, this is a school setting, what we're going to talk about, you know, what is appropriate play versus not. And all Ooh, students can, can you give us some more detail and examples? Oh, uh, like as far as uh, it's a school setting, there's no alcohol. Um, that goes in twofold. One, it's a school setting. Two, you don't know who's had issues with, you know, alcohol abuse or alcohol usage and things like that. You know, you just, you, you talk through what people are comfortable with. And so kind of like a group session zero. Yeah, exactly. Except this is kind of more of the, the, the contract that everyone will play by. And then all the DMs are encouraged to have the similar conversation with their group, um, kind of individual at tables. So they get kind of a better idea of what exactly they can talk on versus not. So, um, you know, we, we have many layers of conversations within our D&D group. And, it, and it's been very positive lately. Um, I've, I've had a, a student DM come up to me uh, with during one of our bi-monthly DM check-ins. Um, like twice a month, my student DMs come to my classroom and they kind of like debrief of how stuff's going. And they're like, hey, I have an issue or I had a player who had an issue with this. How should I approach it? And we kind of work through and talk through you know, why, you know, maybe this wasn't the best topic to do or how we kind of, you know, talk around it and what we should do for the next time. So what are some topics that are, should really not be a part of kid games? Like, obviously we can think, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah, sex, uh, are, sex, yeah. <laughs> I mean. Are, that, are definitely off off the menu, but are there other things that you find that are just better to leave out a game? Uh, generally, things like torture, extortion, um, things that make for a very messy game of player versus player, you know, 
conniving and violence and such like that, that really kind of doesn't help the goal of the game. You know, those are generally topics that are touched on. Definitely no PVP. That yep. only upsets players. Exactly. So Interesting. That's real interesting. What, what about you, Cameron? Because you're coming from it from a creator's standpoint. How do you build in some of those safety mechanics? Because it sounds like you've thought pretty carefully about a lot of that. Yeah, I really did. did. Um, I mean, it's a lot like what Josh was saying, where you try to avoid some of those more mature topics when writing the adventure. But um, I mean, like, it's okay to include stuff that, you know, may be scary or kind of talk about death if it's written in a certain way. Um, it, it's really all about the but wording. What way and, is that? Um, it's so it's kind of i ask because there are parents that are going to listen to this who mm -hmm. want to run their own homebrew adventures and they're they're going to be looking for for some help sure yeah i mean it's a definitely a good question so a lot of it's going to depend on the age of the kids so you know as we as we know D, &D is you know includes you know in the game you know killing monsters and creatures and things like that I mean, in the way I write it, um, you know, it, it does talk about, you know, maybe like killing like a certain monster or something. But I mean, if some parents think that's too harsh, I mean, they can always talk about, you know, maybe just like knocking the creature out, kind of, you know, having them go unconscious so they're still alive. I mean, it's kind of a just fine like line. Just like all Pokemon faint. They yeah, don't, yeah, not actually exactly. making your little adorable monsters kill each other. They're <laughs> And a lot of it is not just the way I write it, but it's how the DM portrays it. Because I give an outline, right, on kind of how things are going. And these are notes for an adult, pretty much. And it's really the adult's job to kind of relay the information in a way that is as kid-friendly as possible. Um, to their audience, depending on the age of the kid. Hmm, very interesting. I, like I said, I know there's a lot of parents out there that are listening to this with bated breath because, you know, we used to play D&D &D and I want to play D&D with my kids. Do you, do you have, do y'all have advice for parents? Like, if, if these were, if your children were getting ready to start playing role-playing games, what advice what would, what advice would you want or what wisdom could you you give to parents and guardians about kids and playing role-playing games again we're obviously looking for best practices um okay um so one of the things that, that i would say for parent for parents um that want to start is start telling stories collaboratively in the car rides to and from school or wherever the case you may be driving to um because one you have a captive audience <laughs> and it's also a way to to get everybody on kind of the same wavelength for collaborative storytelling learning how to take turns and you can work out some of those kinks and and those those problems that may arise or you can kind of look and see like where issues might come up in the future and come up with a way to solve them um, and not only that but now you're starting to work on vocabulary and um, uh, sharing ideas and building stories and adding detail 
um, all of which is enriching their vocabulary and all of that stuff. So that, that whole activity without dice um, is very, very um, simple to start um, doing. I dig it. That is a lot more fun than everybody glued to their device in the car. Could I jump in for a second? Please. Um, this is more a question for Crystal and Josh. Um, yeah. So how do you guys handle, so obviously combat is a huge part of D&D, right? And, you know, you, you don't want to talk about, like, death all the time whenever you're playing these games, obviously, because some kids are really young and they can't really handle that sort of topic. But I'm sure it has to come up in some way. Or do you guys play games and tailor in a way where there's just, like, no combat at all? How does that look at the table? Uh, Crystal, would you mind starting? Yeah, I can, I can start. Um, so it, it depends on the system. Like Pip's system, the base game doesn't have death. You take out the monster. Um, you knock them out or whatever, or you get knocked out. Um, but there is a knockout like function. And um, you know, if you want to play Pip's system with adults, you just take out the knockout fun function and you're dead or whatever the case may be. Um, but handling it with kids and stuff like that, um, when I run it, the kids generally tend to say, I kill the monster. And, um, and so it, it depends on like how you're trying, like one, what the rules of your school are if you're running it at school and two, what you as a parent want to, to do with your child. Um, because, um, if you're, if you're, if you're a zero tolerance school with no violence whatsoever, um, you do have to have that conversation beforehand as to the, well, we don't kill the monsters, we knock them out or whatever the case may be, and might have to have some consequences with that. Um, <laughs> um, if, if it were my child, I would talk to them about, about death and, and kind of handle it the way of um, being respectful of the dead and like teaching them ways to cope with death. Um, so like I would, if it were my child, I would talk with them of, okay, well we killed this monster and it was a, it was a living thing. And yes, it was causing problems for the town, but it was still living. So we still want to treat it respectfully. Have, so, have you ever come across an issue where like a parent came up to you and was like, you know, this is not okay or if so how did you deal with that i haven't really had an any parents come up to me and say that's okay i've had parents come up to them and they're like well we're on our fourth goldfish because we haven't told the child that the goldfish was dead um and and so i i kind of had a discussion with them about how how they wanted to handle it um, and we were able to come up with a, basically like a morning, a morning, and I say it M-O-U-R-I-N-I-N-G, I can't spell right now, um, like ritual type of thing that they kind of wanted to teach their child but didn't know how, and, um, what, what kind of morning ritual or funeral ritual? So, um, uh, just basically saying a couple of like nice things about you know what 
what had just happened, like the monster, like you're very beautiful and I know that you had a family and I'm very sorry for what I had to do. Like that type of thing. Like it, it's almost ritualistic. Yeah. One, one of the things, if I may, may jump in, uh, when I, when I first started with the havoc, there was a bit of concern with my, my principles and stuff about the whole, you know, killing creatures and, and things like that and monsters and, and the violence. So um, I kind of applied the, I guess, 1990s Saturday morning cartoon rule where anything that was going to get attacked and killed was either a robot construct or mechanical being of sorts. Um, so anything that was destroyed wasn't exactly living to begin with. And that seemed to be a pretty good workaround of that particular issue. So I, almost like uh, like how stormtroopers get blown away and nobody really cares because they're not really, they're just seen as suits of armor more than anything. Well, in, in a way, our, our first thing was um, there was a, a necromancer who uh, somehow got the control of this kind of mechanical nanobot sand and he would create dragons and or orcs and skeletons so you still had like D creatures they just you know would fizzle out into a sandy pile at the end and it was more like you were fighting him through magic with this creature you know, he was wielding this creature's shape and powers, but, you know, it wasn't, like, exactly alive. So, again, you know, you're kind of destroying robots, and that's okay, in a way. I have one sort of solution that might help those out there kind of struggling with this question. Um, whenever you're playing the game and you kill a monster, or, like, you know, the kid kills a monster, um, just have it be like video game mechanics you know they they disappear they get transported to another plane of ex existence and they're there until someone decides to transport them back to the material plane uh i mean easy enough solution you know they're not actually dead they can even be brought back and uh i think that may help when the respawn timer resets yeah exactly <laughs> i think um Gosh, I heard about a game that did that, and it might be Fairy's Tale, because whenever you defeat something in combat, it pops out of existence and goes to Fairyland, and then can come back later. I think that might have been Fairy's Tale, but maybe not. Maybe they go to the Feywild for a bit. <laughs> well, I, I think yeah, but that's a that's a good way to deal with monsters. Well, I think with Chris Wall's uh, Ogre and His Cake supplement, uh, I think he had mentioned, like, if you're not okay with, with the kids, you know, killing the goblins or the, the ogre or this, at some point, they might just get up and run away, you know? Instead of them falling down and unconscious and stuff, they can just run away and leave their stuff if you're, um, you know, if you're concerned about looting and, and things like that. They could just, yeah, it's great, which I've used as a mechanic before, too, and it's worked really well. And as a DM, you have the power to say, well, you, you know, the ogre has no more hit points, so she runs away out of there, and you, you know, you can't even catch her. She dives into the forest, and you can't, can't get her. There you go. Yep. Or there could be, like, an overarching wizard that is, you know, is above all the enemies, and whenever 
he or she or whatever sees that they're you know about to to die or whatever they teleport them out of there right then and there ooh i like then it gives you like this kind of overarching enemy to like look forward to to maybe fight one day as well that is an interesting discussion of alternatives to death i mean it's always really nice not to not to die <laughs> <laughs> yes okay but what about the what about the characters the player characters do, do they get hurt do they fall unconscious or go back to the fairy wild or a farm upstate i think it could operate under the same rules easily in my opinion i mean how how do you deal with character death or it just didn't happen i i've never run uh character death with with kids so they usually either um go to sleep or get scared and and are too afraid to act i i'd want to do it pokemon style back into the pokeball with you you just yeah they faint if they fainted and therefore they're out of combat then you got to go find the diamond for the restoration spell and get them back up and running you only need nurse jenny wherever she is (laughs) she's your friendly helpful npc follows you around obviously she's a very busy lady Generally, I've used that rule, too, where with playing with kids, uh, there's usually an NPC that comes around and helps them at the last minute or things like that. I, I have had a few of them die. Like, there was just no way to fudge the role. But generally, I pull them, you know, that student, I'm like, see me after class. And we have their character reemerge at a critical moment in the next game. Uh, I remember one particular kid, like, he fell like into a volcano. I don't know what he was doing, but like, it was just like, he was in a volcano and it's like, I'm sorry, you're, 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 but come see me after class. And at a critical point in the game, I believe he somehow punched his way to the surface, something oh. like that. It was, it was a dramatic scene and all the kids were just like gobsmacked at what was going on. And the kid was just beaming, you know, cause like, we we worked his character back in, uh, and and that was that was pretty cool to do too. Valuable life lesson too about not falling in volcanoes. Don't play around volcanoes. Yeah, it's best not to. A couple of final questions here to wrap up this episode. Yeah, I guess the, the next one's you know pretty pretty easy. We're just gonna toot our horns for a little bit here at the end. I want you to all to tell me like what your favorite project you've worked on for children is. It could be an adventure you wrote, a program you do, it, literally anything. There's what you're proudest of. Mm, let's see. Let's pick Josh. Oh, uh, let's see here. I'm going to have to say uh, my proudest thing right now is Detentions and Dragons. Uh, we've been getting a lot of people writing to us saying, you know, hey, thank you for putting out a program and, you know, this particular program. Uh, we've got a D&D club at our school now, or I've figured out how to do, uh, you know, how to run a club or how to run for my kids. So uh, I got to say, I, I really have been enjoying it. Um, me and my buddy, Matt Keel, you know, we're on iTunes. Uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. This is our second year doing it. 
Yeah, and we will definitely link the podcast on the on the show notes on the website so that everyone else can check that out. Cameron, what about you? I mean, the biggest thing for me is my website, um, dndadventuresforkids.com. Um, you know, my Facebook group under the same name, which has like, I think like 1,300 people in it right now, where there's just so much communication back and forth between you know, different adults from around the world um, that, you know, are trying to answer the questions that we've been going over. Um, I do have a Kickstarter going on right now for a project with like, it's like a book of uh, mini dungeons called Monster Layers. I've been pretty proud of that, trying to get some more funding so I can, you know, put out more free adventures for people. I'd say those three things are the, the main, the main things. Okay, and we will make sure to get that link in there too. Pretty excited for that. Sounds really cool. Crystal, how about you? Favorite, one thing. So uh, my favorite would be the PIP System Core Book, um, which is, um, the game was was created by Aloy LaSanta from Third Eye Games. And um, we wrote the core book and it won an any at Gen Con uh, two years ago. Um, and I've been the lead developer for it ever since that point. And we have a, so much, so many new things coming out using the PIP system, um, which I'm super excited about. And then um, you can find my work and um, the stuff that I'm doing. Um, my website is thegeekypanda.com. Um, you can find me at Twitter or Instagram at, at bodyandsoul152. Um, the and is spell out. And Facebook, you can follow me at um, Crystal M. Mazer. Crystal kind of stole my thunder on uh, leading us to our outro where we introduce ourselves and tell oh. everybody where they could find us. But that's okay. We I'm are, so sorry. We are right on track with that. So let's go ahead and finish out the outro. Josh, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online? Sounds good. Uh, you can find the podcast uh, Detentions and Dragons on iTunes and other podcatchers. You can find us also on Twitter at DetentionsPod, or you can uh, message me at Professor Olaf, or find us on our Facebook page, uh, Detentions and Dragons. And last but certainly not least, Cameron, where can everybody find you? Uh, most people contact me directly through email at dndadventuresforkids at gmail.com, which you can find like through my website too, or you can message me through Facebook at uh, on our group, D&D Adventures for Kids. All right, Paige, where can everyone find you? I can be found haunting the halls of the big fifth edition Facebook group for D&D. But you can also find me on Twitter at Paige Lightman. And uh, you can find me on Facebook personally under Paige Lightman as well. You can also now find Paige on her website, which was mentioned in our previous episode. That is Ben and Paige Writes. Right? Right? Paige, which one is it? Benandpagewrite.com. And I completely forgot about it. Thank you for remembering it. <laughs> I'm going to add that to the show notes so we don't forget that in the future. You can find me on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. That's G-I-N-N-Y Loveday. You can find me on Facebook, same, Instagram, also at the same. And now, new and improved, also on my website, which is, you guessed it, JennyLoveday.com. 
You can find the D&D Roundtable on Twitter at D, the letter N, D, Roundtable, on Facebook under the same, or you can always contact us via email at dndroundtable at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Roundtable. I hope to see you back shortly.